Well, good morning, everyone. It is a privilege to be able to share God's word with you on this momentous occasion for our church. I have always been fascinated by people that have tattoos. I don't have a tattoo, but I'm always intrigued by people that have a tattoo. I know that there's probably some significant part of their life that they're trying to capture when they get a tattoo, right? I mean, that's not always true. Some people do regret getting tattoos when they get a cheesy phrase like life is good or live, laugh, love. I even know of a couple that spontaneously chose to go get a tattoo together on a date night. Regardless, most people, when they get a tattoo, are trying to preserve something significant that is part of their story. Maybe sometimes it's to remember a loved one who has passed away, or a picture of something that reminds them of God's faithfulness to them in a difficult season, or just something that reminds them of God's kindness to them. In our passage we read this morning, we saw God directing Joshua to preserve some stones that would function as somewhat of a tattoo for the people of Israel. So that when they see these memorial stones, it would be a visible reminder to them of God's faithfulness throughout their generations. Now, the passage here in the book of Joshua is a momentous occasion for the people of Israel. But the story of Israel starts almost a thousand years before this story with a man named Abraham. God had promised Abraham that he would have many descendants and that he would inherit a piece of land called a promised land, and that God would dwell with them in the land. Hundreds of years had passed after Abraham, and it seemed as if God had forgotten his promises. Things looked especially grim when the people of Israel were enslaved in Egypt for almost 400 years. Had God forgotten his promises? Had God forgotten his people? But God had a plan, and through his prophet Moses, he rescued his people from the hand of the Egyptians. And he led them towards the land of Canaan, the promised land. And it seemed as though every obstacle was out of the way for them to enter the promised land. But the people were a disobedient people. If you remember the story, Moses sent out 12 spies to scope out the land of Canaan, which was a promised land, but 10 out of 12 showed very little faith, and they spread a negative report among the people. They said that the people of Canaan were big and strong, and Israel was no match for their military might and power. Joshua and Caleb were the only ones who were full of faith. They saw the blessing of the land, and they trusted in the promise of the Lord to be with them and defeat the enemies in the land. Unfortunately, the people of Israel were stubborn. They grumbled. They complained. They did not believe what the Lord had for them was good. They even wished that they could go back into Egypt, into slavery again. This is what the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people despise me? How long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? 
And just as God is ready to destroy Israel, Moses intercedes on behalf of the people, and God relents. But the consequences for their sin was significant. They would have to wander around in the wilderness for 40 years until the entire unbelieving generation would die and not see the promised land. Even Moses would not be able to enter. Only Joshua and Caleb, who were faithful, would enter the land, and this is where we pick up our story this morning. Joshua is on the cusp of leading a new generation of Israelites into the promised land. Now, just picture this for a moment. This is a thousand-year-old promise that is coming to pass in front of the eyes of this new generation. There are these things they had heard about from their parents, from their forefathers, the promise from long ago that God has promised to Abraham. It was going to be fulfilled before their eyes. So the priests, they led the way into the Jordan River, bearing the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was central to Israel's worship, and it signified God's presence with them. And as soon as the priests dipped their feet in the Jordan, the waters parted, and the people were able to pass on dry ground. A miracle just like the parting of the Red Sea a generation earlier. Once the people had passed over, God tells Joshua to take 12 men from the 12 tribes of Israel and tell them to take 12 stones from the midst of the Jordan so that it would serve as a memorial. These would be memorial stones that testified to the might and power of God. God's great power, the one who parted the Jordan and fulfilled his promise to bring his people into the promised land. Now, as we enter into this new season as a church, in this new building, in this new neighborhood, what does this story have to do with us today? Does the fact that we own a building now mean that we have entered the promised land? Is Dayton the land of Canaan and Bellbrook was Egypt? Have we arrived as a church finally? If that was a thread I was going to pull here, I hope you would all find that very troubling. However, today is a significant day in the life of our church, and we can look at, the significant, at this significant moment in the life of the people of Israel and learn from them about how to remember this day, how to commemorate this day, and how to prepare for the days ahead. And we're going to do that by allowing this building that we have here function as a memorial stone for us in the life of our church. Just as the stones functioned as a memorial stone for the people of Israel, I want to submit to you that this building can be a memorial stone, something physical, visible, that reminds us of God's faithfulness to us. So let me give you three ways that I hope that this building, which is a gift from the Lord, can function as a memorial stone in our life together. Number one, this building can function as a memorial stone of God's kindness to us in our past. Verse 7 says, So these stones shall be a 
be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. That was a function of these memorial stones. And they would show the people of Israel how the Lord made a way for the people of Israel through the waters of Jordan and to bring them into the promised land. When they look at these stones in the future, it would remind them of God's kindness towards them in the past. Now, there were many ways that the Lord commanded the people of Israel to remember significant events in their history. There were feasts that were celebrated on a recurring basis, helping the people remember the faithfulness of the Lord. There were also occasionally monuments and altars that were built from time to time to commemorate the mighty acts of God on behalf of His people. Now, to someone else, these were just stones. But to the people of Israel, they would have been a perpetual reminder that Yahweh is a powerful and personal God who works on behalf of his people. Similarly, this building might just be just another building to everyone else that drives by here. But to us, the people of God, who have seen and known the mighty acts of God, that this would be a reminder that our God is a personal and powerful God who works on behalf of his people. Now, there is something powerful about a physical object or a structure that we give, intentionally give some spiritual significance. On your way in, if you were noticing, you, you might have noticed a sign outside that said, Memorial Presbyterian Church. Now, this was the name of the church that met here before us. And I've just been so curious about their history. I've been digging into their history over the last couple of months, and I was really fascinated by their name. Memorial Presbyterian Church. Why Memorial? What are they trying to remember by that name? So let me just briefly share with you the history of the church before us. The church began with the name East Presbyterian Church of Dayton. And they actually bought a piece of property on 3rd Street in 1868 for $1,000. And they built a brick building for another $10,000. And at that point, they renamed the church Memorial Presbyterian Church. Now, one of the reasons that they did this was to commemorate a reunion of a schism that had occurred in their denomination. It was a schism between what was called the old school Presbyterianism. This was led by Charles Hodge and the Princeton theologians. They were much more conservative. And the new school Presbyterians. This was, these were a little bit more liberal, but they were led by the followers of Jonathan Edwards. Anyway, there was a massive schism in their denomination that took place almost 30 years earlier over issues such as church government, how closely the church needed to adhere to their statement of faith, and even over political issues such as slavery, which had become a flashpoint issue in the nation during that time. But in the 1960s, after the Civil War, reunion was in the air. And there was a reunion between these two branches of Presbyterianism. And this church wanted to celebrate that reunion by renaming the church and dedicating it to God who preserved the unity of their denomination during that season. 
the name would be a helpful reminder to them through many trials in their history. In fact, just two years later, in 1874, smoke and flames were discovered during a Sunday morning worship service, and the church was evacuated in minutes. The damage was heavy, but in a few months, they were able to repair the church and worship resumed. Then, several decades later, in 1950, they purchased this property on Smithville Road. But again, in a few decades, tragedy struck their congregation. In 1971, almost 90 years after the first fire, the church again experienced another trial by fire. Two young arsonists set off a series of small fires which engulfed the entire sanctuary. The entire church was destroyed. It left the church in complete ruin. But the Lord gave faith, and they decided to build a new sanctuary in 1972 and 73. This is the very sanctuary in which we are worshiping here today. Now, I can't speak much about the health of the congregation before us or over the years, but the point I am trying to make this morning by recounting their story is that the name of their church, Memorial Presbyterian, and the church building itself functioned as a memorial stone for the people that were here before us. They saw God at work in healing the schism in their denomination, and it served them to trust the Lord even when their building faced fire and destruction. Now, just as the church here before us has a history, our church has a history as well. Although much shorter, it is significant. And it is helpful to remember and recount the journey that the Lord has brought us through. Now, our church became an official Sovereign Grace Church plant under John Butler in 2011. Prior to that, Brad and Paula Sanders, who are here with us even this morning, they had been in conversation with Sovereign Grace Churches for over six years to come plant a church in this area, waited for many years. Initially, they met in homes, then in a church building in Waynesville, then at the Legacy Center in Xenia, then at Rec West in Centerville, and until last week in Bellbrook Elementary School. Each of these locations function in our history as unique memorial stones that testify to what God did among us in those places at that time. What he did to preserve us, to show his goodness and his grace to us. The Lord has done many amazing things in the life of our church since that day. Stephen Joy came to us in 2014. And we were so thankful that the Lord brought them to us after not having a pastor for nine months. Kale and Jackie came to us in 2017, and they were a significant addition to helping lead our church. I know you all already know this, and, but just serving alongside of them over these years, I am in awe of how tirelessly and faithfully they serve us, how, how genuinely 
they are concerned for our welfare. Much of it is unseen to most people. I certainly do miss having them here with us on this momentous occasion. But next week is going to be an even bigger celebration for many others who are unable to be here with us today. Anyway, back to our history. We've had many ups and downs and challenges and difficulties along the way in our history, but there is one thing we have seen over and over again. The Lord has been faithful to us, and He has been kind to preserve us and to build this church. So this morning, so this morning, I want to consider what it would mean for us to see this building as a gift from the Lord and how this building can function as a memorial stone for us in years to come. Yes, I know on the one hand this is just a building, and these, are, these were just stones in the Jordan that God asked Joshua to collect. However, this physical building, this structure, this moment in our history can serve as a memorial stone, reminding us of how God started our church as a small Bible study almost 15 years ago, and how the Lord used so many, many who are here even today to lay the foundation of our church upon Christ so that we could enjoy worshiping together today. When we see this building, we can see how the Lord has been kind to us in the past. And I pray that it would cause us to trust in His faithfulness in the years to come. Second, this building can function as a memorial stone for generations to come. Verse 21, Joshua said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know. Israel passed over the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over. Just as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea when he dried it up for us until we passed over. There is a transgenerational nature to our faith. We are called to transfer our faith to this next generation. But this requires intentionality. And Joshua makes it clear to the people of Israel when their children ask their fathers one day, what do these stones mean? You could just say, well, there's just stones from the Jordan. But no, they are to tell their children about the mighty deeds of the Lord what the Lord did in helping them cross the Jordan into the promised land, and not only the Jordan, but how the Lord did the same thing a generation earlier in parting the Red Sea when he rescued them from the Egyptians. Brothers and sisters, friends, in the months and years to come, I pray that when we look at this building, when you drive by this building with your family on your way to work, that you would be able to say to your children that this is the place where we came to remember the mighty deeds of the Lord. Some of you might even be able to say, this is the place where the Lord brought me from death to life. 
This is the place where some of you will say, children, this is the place where the Lord healed someone of a terminal illness. Some of you will be able to say, this is the place we were married. This is the place where we dedicated you to the Lord. And may it be that our children and our children's children would hear from us about all the mighty deeds of the Lord that he will do in this place. Finally, this building can also function as a memorial stone for the neighborhood and the nations. Now, the nature of these memorial stones had a purpose for the people of Israel to remember the kindness of the Lord in their past. It functioned as a reminder of God's promised faithfulness to their children and generations to come. But it ultimately functioned as a memorial, as a reminder of God's plan of redemption for all the peoples of the earth. Just look at the last verse here in verse 24. So, ultimately, this is the ultimate reason, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Joshua here tells us the ultimate purpose of these memorial stones, that all the peoples of the earth may see the mighty hand of God and stand in fear and awe of the one true living God. God's promises to Abraham found a significant fulfillment in the history of Israel. But God's plan from the beginning had always been for the nations. God desired for his name to be exalted among the nations so that people from every tribe, tongue, and nation would come to see how powerfully the Lord acts on behalf of his people, how mighty he is to save, how powerful he is to heal. I hope in the months and years to come that this building would serve as a lighthouse to our neighborhood. As we prayed for this building, we resolved not to acquire this building to make a name for ourselves, but that this building would be used to extend the glory of God in the hope of the gospel to our neighborhoods and to the ends of the earth. Will we face opposition here? Absolutely. Joshua and the people of Israel still had to make war against the inhabitants of the land to finally take possession of it. We will still need to make war to make a dent in the kingdom of darkness in our neighborhood and in the nations. While we do not have physical enemies opposing us today, we may experience opposition in the days ahead. And even if we do not, there is a powerful kingdom of darkness that is at work all around us holding people captive to their sin in this neighborhood to whom we have the privilege of bringing the hope that comes through the gospel. On your way in, if you looked in the foyer, you should have seen a mission statement on the wall. And that mission statement succinctly captures so well for us why we exist. What is the purpose for us here in this church, in this neighborhood? It says this, we exist 
to glorify God by maturing and multiplying disciples who enjoy, declare, and display the good news of Jesus Christ for the joy of all peoples. All peoples. And our prayer is that the Lord would use us and our ministry through this building to make a decisive blow to Satan and the powers of darkness as we ourselves enjoy, declare, and display the good news of Jesus Christ for the joy of all peoples. Now this morning we saw a very small sliver of Israel's history, a very small sliver. And it was the good part of their story. One that was marked by God's blessing and fulfillment of his promises. But as the story continues to unfold, we see that the Israelites forget God's promises and they chose to disobey him. Pretty soon after Joshua's death, Israel would enter the period of the judges, which was marked by some of the lowest points in Israel's history. Even though they were in the promised land, their sinfulness kept them from experiencing the fullness of God's blessings. This pattern of redemption and falling back into captivity continues in cycles throughout the history of Israel. The nation even saw somewhat of a climax in the days of David and Solomon, but even then, the sinful rejection of God's people led them back into captivity and ultimately into exile. No one was able to be completely faithful to God's covenant. And the promises of God were contingent on the condition of one who would be obedient to God's covenant promises. Only that one could bring about the blessings to the nations promised to Abraham. When all hope seemed lost, when all human efforts failed, when there was nothing left to look forward to in ourselves, God stepped in. God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love for us, because of his desire to make much of his name among the nations, God himself enters into his own story to fulfill the covenant promises given to Abraham. In the fullness of time, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, a descendant of Abraham in the line of David, the Messiah who was promised by the prophets to come and bring the fullness of God's kingdom on earth. He came to live among us. Fully God became man, lived among us as a man, and fully obeyed the law of God. And he died to pay the penalty for our sins. But that's not all. He rose again on the third day and he defeated death and all of God's enemies. Brothers and sisters, just as God made a way for the people of Israel to cross the Red Sea and escape the wrath of the Egyptians, and just as the Lord 
parted the Jordan to make way for the people of Israel to enter into the promised land. Jesus, through his death and resurrection, made a way for us to be reconciled to God and one day experience the fullness of his blessings in the promised land in which Jesus will reign in power in the new heavens and new earth. That is what we look forward to one day. But until then, as we wait for that day, we are entering the cusp of a new season as a church. And we can look back and learn from the people of Israel. Let us not be like the people of Israel, the unbelieving generation, the ones that were given over to grumbling and complaining instead of trusting in the Lord. But let us be like this generation, like Joshua. And we can let this new season be defined by God's faithfulness to us. And I plead with you, I urge you, that let this building function as a memorial stone in the life of our church, a visible structure that would remind us about God's kindness to us in the past, his promises to our children and generations to come, and even his plan for this neighborhood and the nations. Amen.